UFO disclosure in less than six months, persistent repeating numbers, strange metal monoliths showing up around the world. Things are getting super weird. What is going on? Right now on Higher Journeys with Alexis Brooks. Hi everyone, Alexis Brooks here from Higher Journeys. So delighted that you could join me today. Well, I think it's fair to say, here we are in 2021, and just when we thought perhaps the strangeness would be relenting, it's done anything but. It's actually ratcheted up, I think. What about you? Today we're gonna to be tackling some of these incidents of strangeness that are going on and persistent in our lives with my guest, Terry Lovelace. Terry's been on the show before. In fact, I believe this is his third visit with Higher Journeys. Terry is an author, an author of Incident at Devil's Den, as well as his follow-up, Devil's Den, The Reckoning. And he is also an experiencer. Terry is going to be helping me try to connect some dots when it comes to these anomalies that seem to be swirling around us at a fever uh, pitch, including, and he's having this too, guys, the ear buzzing. We're going to go there. I wanted to get his perspective on what he thinks is going on. The unrelenting repeating numbers that seem to be happening even more. What is this all about? Finally, we're going to be talking about the monoliths that have been showing up and disappearing inexplicably all over the world. Is there a common thread with all of these things that are going on? Is non-human intelligence at the root of it all? And finally, where is this all going? Where is this taking us? So join me for this very, very candid and very, very upbeat and exploratory discussion with my guest, Terry Lovelace, right here on Higher Journeys. Well, journeyers, welcome to Higher Journeys. So glad that you've decided to join us today. I'm here with someone who I can truly call a friend as well as a colleague, someone that you uh, probably know if you've been checking out our show for Gosh, I think you, you've been on two times. This is your third. Let me just start by saying welcome, Terry Lovelace, before we get into all the chronology. Welcome to Higher Journey, sir. Happy 2021 to you. Thank you so much. It is an honor to be here. I appreciate the opportunity. And as far as 2021 goes, my theme for 2021 is, meh, hey, how <laughs> could it be? <laughs> well, isn't that what we're going to get into today? Thank you for the segue. How good can it be? How bad can it be? What I'm saying now to, uh, to people, Terry, is not just Happy New Year, but Happy Wonky Wild Crazy Revelational Revelatory New Year to you. I think it's all going to be in there. It is. Isn't it yeah. Cool? yeah. Hey, listen. I watched your fantastic interview with Carrie Cassidy about a month or two ago, and I thought it was simply fantastic. So there's some themes that y'all talked about that I would like to pick up on, but uh, kudos. That was that was a great sort of summation, not only of your Devil's Den experience, which I know many of you are, are probably at this point familiar with Terry's great work, uh, Incident at Devil's Den. And now there's what I'm calling a sequel. Uh, give us the name. We're going to talk about it on the back end, but. Yes, just out. It's called Devil's Den, The Reckoning. The Reckoning. And it is parts, I answer all the unanswered questions from Devil's Den incident at Devil's Den. And I included uh, 30 uh, emails, short stories from uh, readers who read my book and 
contacted me at the email address and said, you know, reading your book kind of triggered something. And then they tell me these amazing stories. I've got over 1,400 emails. I know you do the same thing uh, on, on a uh, online where you have people come and share with you. So I'm sure you've seen incredible stories too. Which is great. That's, you know, we're no, I always say I'm no greater than my guests, nor the audience who really sort of fill in the gaps. And we're all on a big dot connecting exercise. So yes, absolutely. Some of the stories that we hear. Well, again, let's go ahead. Let's dive right in, Terry. Use that as a segue because talk about unanswered questions, uh, high strangeness seemingly at its peak right now. There's a lot you and I talked about. Uh, we sort of touched on some themes that we're going to get into in this conversation. But I wanted to start by talking about a headline that's been in the news for a bit. I think it's it, it's sort of ratcheting up a bit more, having to do with this $2.3 trillion COVID-19 stimulus relief bill. And a little thing that uh, I think CNN said was tucked into the committee comments section uh, having to do with a 180-day mandate to deliver the goods on the UAP phenomenon and what's really going on in terms of their monitoring it. I want to start with that. Now, you're an attorney, uh, not practicing anymore, I, I believe, but former assistant attorney general, you know the law like nobody's business. Yes, I want you to give me, give give us the juice, Terry, Okay, I, sure. As a layperson, I'm saying, hmm, that's interesting. Why this bill? Now, we know there's lots and lots and lots of pork, but there's still some curious elements that have emerged for me. This was my first inclination when I heard that this little section was tucked in. You know, when I was assistant attorney general for the U.S. Territory of American Samoa, uh, part of my job, uh, I, I worked for LBJ Tropical Medical Center for the hospital. And I wrote legislation. I wrote their legislation for advanced directives and uh, a couple other things. Um, so I'm familiar with the bill, with the process of how a bill gets written. So when, when people look at it and they say, oh, my gosh, there's 400 things in here. Um, that doesn't necessarily mean they're trying intentionally to hide anything. What it means is that they they collectively piled all this work together and, uh, you know, passed 33 bills with one stroke of a pen. So. It's not uncommon. Um, you know, I, I read this in its first draft, in its first iteration, and then I went online and was able to access the uh, congressional, um, not the intelligence protected part, but the open, the open source part, and look at the bill in its draft form where they had strikeouts, additions, deletions. And it's interesting if you read that from a legal standpoint to see the progression of the bill and how it was pieced together. Um, I'll tell you what, what my concern is. My concern is this. Uh, well, first of all, let me say that, you know, this, this is an evolution of what Harry Reid started with the $7 million uh, ATIP program led by Lou Elizondo. Um, this is another ATIP program with a different name. Uh, and a different leader, uh, and where Senator Harry Reid had the mantle, you know, last time. Uh, now it's Marco Rubio uh, who's kind of leading the charge, and um, there's a there's a nexus, there's a tie, there's a connection between 
COVID-19, the start of the uh, date of, of uh, the vaccine release, and disclosure. And it's 180 days, which is very, you know, it's a very common time frame in the law, you know, 180 days. It's, it's a common sentencing term. I mean, it's, it's used a lot. So 180 days doesn't surprise me. But, um, you know, when I read the draft bill, it was contemplated at a year at, at the first and then somebody even contemplated 90 days and uh, they finally settled on six months. So, you know, what, what is happening between now and hundred and the lapse of 180 days that's going to make disclosure of UFOs, the UAP. Uh, and if you've read, seen the CNN article or read the story, what is going to happen to make that palatable? and understandable, believable to the citizens of the United States or the world for that matter. What, what, what's going to, what's going to happen? Why the need for the 180 days? That's what makes me scratch my head. And, and mm. like, the tie between the two is suspicious to me. Well, we're looking at June because it's now in play because I believe it, it uh, went into effect. What uh, December was it? December 20th, something like that. Yeah. So we're looking June-ish. Yeah. So let's play with this for a minute, Terry. And, and guys, I, I think it's anyone's guess, but I, you know, I, I'm skeptical. I'm dubious. I'm and, and and yet very excited. Lord knows those of us in the ufology uh, community and whatever side you're on or whatever aspect of it you choose to to probe into, uh, we've been talking about what I call the D word forever: disclosure. And what constitutes disclosure and is disclosure within the confines of a government disclosure or will it be disclosure by uh, entities themselves? But nonetheless, it seems that we're right on the precipice of some form of legitimate, well, authoritative disclosure. You know, but, may I yeah. ask some issue real quick? Because uh, I think it's important and it's something that's a, a big deal to me. And that is, we all talk about disclosure. Everybody talks about disclosure, disclosure, disclosure. But you know what? Um, if you look at uh, Leslie Kane, K-E-A-N, friend of mine, nice lady, wonderful journalist, great author. Leslie published a um, uh, disclosure about the Nimitz Carrier Group and the Tic Tac accident um, from 2005 or 2004. And... Uh, I, I can't imagine anything more appropriate. I mean, what, anything anything that could be any greater than disclosure other than have an ET there to address the crowd. I mean, when you have, having been prior military, I mean, I know that you don't have a lieutenant commander. You don't have uh, a pilot go on national television and make an address about such a topic without it being vetted and approved at the highest levels. Absolutely. So, you know, this this had the Pentagon and the president's stamp of approval on it. Um, that and then in 2015, and that was that was released on December. I think I said December seventh, uh, 2017. 2017, correct. And um, then the subsequent article about the gimbal event from 2015. Now, had an interesting uh, encounter with an intelligence officer who was aboard the USS Roosevelt 
during the gimbal event in 2015. He read my book and emailed me and said, man, do I have a story for you? And I said, yeah, well, okay. Cause I had people do that before. I'm like, you know, what's your name? And we chit chat back and forth. And as soon as we had a nice conversation, promised to talk again, I hung up and I got on the computer and I pulled up the yearbook for the USS Roosevelt. Uh, Cause you can do that online and verified his name uh, and got his picture. And I asked him, I said, Hey, can you send me a picture of yourself in uniform? He's like, sure. Just, you know, don't use it until my book gets vet, uh, vetted. Um, so what he did was he wrote this amazing book and just like John Bolton, remember John Bolton, mm -hmm. I was in the room or something and that had to be vetted by the white house before it could be published. And uh, I think it was published anyway, without a blessing officially. Um, but, uh, I refer to him as Matthew. He's in my second book. His story is in my second book and his words. He, uh, he was a witness to the gimbal event and um, he wrote it all up and planned to had 16 years active duty. He was four years away from retirement. Uh, and he left, well, he left the, um, he was taken off ship and was working at uh, DNI uh, department of Naval intelligence in Washington, DC. He resigned his commission and, uh, and left um, because of, uh, a lot of things were implied, but not said, but I, I, I think it was from heat from his superiors about, you know, the route that he was taking. So he turned his book over to the uh, Naval Department of Naval Intelligence for vetting, and he got it back. And guess what? All the good stuff is redacted. Mm -hmm. Black magic marker. No surprise. Surprise, surprise. Yeah. yeah. So, you know, I mean, doesn't want to violate his NDA. He doesn't want to be a whistleblower in that context. So all he could share with me was uh, some personal experiences. Um, and I promised to my, I, I, of course, I, I can't share anymore. I consider it attorney-client privilege. Absolutely. Um, well, but, I just want to bring something up in terms of what we're just sort of zooming out and looking at the chronology of where we've come from in terms of the idea of UFOs and these days UAP being brought up in a public forum or in a uh, on a mainstream platform, going from at ground zero, the giggle factor to say the least, forgive the cliche, but it seems that we've come 180 degrees from that just about. When you read the CNN article and a, a boatload of others, I think uh, Tucker Carlson did a little uh, piece, actually interviewed Nick Pope, who's, who's I think, oh, yeah. kind of frequenting Fox News these days on covering this subject. Mm -hmm. The giggle factor has been all but taken from it. There is a more of a serious sort of, uh, you know, Q&A tone. Uh, you know, give me the, here's the question, give me an answer with, with no lips turning up on the end with a smirk. The, the, so something is happening in terms of setting a tone of a more uh, serious note, which seems to me that they're trying to acclimate the public to lead them up to some revelatory statement, right? Couldn't agree more. And I think things have changed. I think we've changed, uh -huh. uh, even without influence from the U.S. government. I think perhaps collectively, you know, we've raised our consciousness a bit. We're open to things. Um, you know, I published my book in 2018, Incident in the Devil's Den, and, um, you know, I thought I'd sell 100 copies and keep 50 in my 
garage in a box and it'd be cathartic to write and that would be it. Um, but the public really welcomed it and I'm very grateful for that. But I think that says something because I think had I published that book five years earlier, I would have sold 100 copies and had 50 copies left in my garage. So, you know, times have changed. And I mean, and it's ramping up and it's happening faster. Uh, I think we're headed into, it's going to be, we're already in a new world. There is no going back to the old world. We're already in a different world. Um, and then we're going to take one more step up the ladder. It's, it's going to get, yeah. So the question is, <laughs> the little question, who's pushing the agenda? Is it human, non-human, or a combination thereof? Who's well, pushing us toward revelation in this regard, do you think? I don't think there's any way that it could be a strictly human endeavor. I, I just don't believe that. Um, you know, having had some contact with ET, I think that, and understand the influence that they can have over people, uh, I think that this is a joint uh, human, non-human uh, endeavor uh, on an agenda. You know, it began with Paul Hellyer, who, who made the disclosure statements in 2007 in the Toronto. In Canada, yes. At a, at a press conference. And, uh, you know, that was huge. That was major disclosure. He's like Nick Pope. He's a former defense minister uh, for, for the um, uh, province of Canada or, or the Commonwealth. Well, forget for Canada. Okay. Mm -hmm. He uh, was highly placed in government circles and had access to all kinds of stuff. Paul Hillier came out and said the United States and Canada had regular contact with ET and that they've assisted the U.S. with their with – their, um, space program and advanced technologies across the board. And now December 8th, I read in the Jerusalem Post, which is a very reputable uh, publication, that um, a very respected retired general by the name of Haim, H-A-I-M, Ashed, E-S-H-E-D, Haim Ashed, uh, who spent 30 years as um, the general in charge of space defense for Israel and retired and then spent another decade as a uh, respected professor. I have friends in Tel Aviv and I call them up and I'm like, what's up with this guy Ashed? Is he, uh, is he a nut job? Is he crazy? Is he uh, legitimate? And they're like, no, no, no. He's, he's like our Buzz Aldrin. You know, this guy has everyone's respect. Uh, this is not some nut job. This is, this is a legitimate academic, former military, has all the information that, that, you know, you can access with the need to know. And uh, if he says it, you know, you can take it to the bank. And he said that the United States and Israel jointly are in contact with an extraterrestrial federation. And he used the unfortunate, unfortunate choice of words, galactic federation. Mm, really? Really? Yeah, I'm not a sci-fi fan, but I think that that has some reference to Star Trek, maybe? Well, no, it, it goes, I mean, I, it, sure, I think that's part of it, but the Galactic Federation, there's two terms that have galactic in it, having to do with a collective of non-human species. Some feel that it's more of a nefarious agenda that that uh, in this federation that's overseeing many of the activities, some otherwise. But no, the Galactic Federation is a term that's tossed around within the field of ufology a lot. 
Okay. Okay. Absolutely. Good. I, I, I had the, uh, well, you know what? I read an article in Forbes magazine that was uh, pretty complimentary of Heim and his, and his disclosure. But then, of course, they have to add a paragraph at the very end, you know, where they kind of, um, you know, take it tongue in cheek and, and kind of put a, uh, I, th I guess, for, for sake of saving face that they don't want to look like they're really legitimizing uh, him. But. Well, I think that's going away. That's what I'm talking about. Not completely. We still have, you know, there were a couple of tongue in cheek comments in the, in the CNN article, but it's less and less. Here's my question. Let's take this a little bit deeper. Again, me still, although I consider myself a part of the UFO uh, ufology community, more on the experiential side, I think you know that, uh, but uh, I, I'm still a lay person. I'm not on the inside, obviously, from, from this perspective. We know that particularly for those who are dubious about the motivation of intelligence and various uh, governmental agencies regarding this whole idea of ET UFO phenomenon, one of many um, ideas that have been proffered as a plan possibly is something called Project Bluebeam. That would be a fake alien invasion having to do with sort of a holographic technology. I'm not well read on Bluebeam, but I know it exists. I, I know that it's been talked about. I'm not going to say it exists. I don't know. However, I will throw this out. This is a thought that occurred to me. If, and I say with a big eye, if, something like this is actually in the works if it's something they're considering doing having to do with basically a virtual invasion when you look at all that's going on right now terry in terms of how our lives have been turned one age 180 degrees i'm going to keep using that that number uh on its head we're living in virtual lives you know i'm, I'm watching all of these new program formats where uh, I think there was one uh, concert where they introduced a holographic. Uh, one of the artists came in holographically along with two other people who were on stage. And the bottom line is this, we're being introduced and acclimated to more of a virtual reality than ever before because we can't supposedly interact with one another till further notice. Wouldn't it be interesting if something like a Project Bluebeam were to occur right about now doesn't that fall within the spectrum of virtual reality it sure does i mean i don't know how many people in the world would be disappointed i'd have to include myself but is it possible that none of this is real you know i i don't know i mean uh, well, could this, I, I heard it referred to as a false flag uh, you may have heard that term as well. Of course. A, a false invasion would give uh, what well, would trigger um, martial law. Mm -hmm. It would trigger um, lots of things. Lots of things. I mean, all the National Guard would be mobilized. You know, the U.S. What uh, would be the U.S. Uh, military complex would have to be mobilized to meet whatever threat, however it manifests, and. Um, well, if I can just say, see, we're on to something here. And again, guys, and I want to be clear, I am not in any way insinuating this is what's going on because I don't think any of us know really what's going on, what's behind that iron curtain. But all of the things that you mentioned that could be invoked if something like this were to happen, well, what the heck is happening right now, more or less? 
I'm drawing a correlation between those themes and the themes that I'm seeing that are happening right now, including virtual reality. I find it interesting in the CNN article, particularly where it talks about, and it would make sense that they would say, wish I could find the quote, that um, uh, th what they're trying to meet out in the, the report that's to be delivered in 180 less now days has to do with the idea that these UAP could be actually American US adversaries. I would, remember that verbiage. They have to, I would think that they would have to do that. They have to sort of go through a process of elimination. So there's just some nuances there that piqued my interest. You know, it did, to me, uh, and I've really given this a lot of thought. I mean, from a military standpoint, does it make sense to say, we know the truth, but we're not going to tell you for 180 days? Why? Why? I don't get it. I don't get it either. I think we'll to find out. Well, we're taking this conversation from a uh, sort of on the record, here's what's happening in the news. Uh, but guys and journeyers out there, you're looking at two people who've had their, their share of experiences, Terry particularly, and probably many of you out there. And I've always looked at the experiential aspect of this big story as particularly, I think, the most interesting because we have skin in this game. So as an experiencer, particularly with what you went through at Devil's Den and beyond, including some of the nefarious activity that surrounded you, including the helicopters that have gone over your house, taking all of that, how you were treated back post Devil's Den incident, how does that, Terry, look at this situation? You know, I'm glad you asked that question because I have two opinions. I have one, one opinion in regard to ET, one opinion in regard to the United States government. Uh, and I'll be very candid with both. Um, initially in 1977, my post-abduction uh, experience with ET was negative. I mean, I was, I had flash burns to my eyes. Uh, I had this burn, you know, that was very bad all over my body. So did my friend Toby. Uh, you know, we witnessed it together. So, um, I was very angry about being abducted and about uh, the things they did to me. But you know what, that, that, that I have really softened my position over the past 40 years. And yeah, I mean, I tell the story with the horror and the uh, trauma that was in that moment. But you know, I, I, I think that if I could sit down with, um, you know, like the, uh, there was a real clinical component when I was on this table and the entity that I referred to as Dr. Bug in my book, um, the insectoid like thing, um, who I always picture in a white lab coat. Now I, I think that that's a projected memory. I don't think he was wearing a light white lab coat. I think that that was a projected image to give it a clinical feel uh, and maybe lessen my anxiety a bit. But if I could sit down and have a beer with Dr. Bug, I think he would say, Hey man, no hard feelings, just doing my job, you know? So I've kind of let go of some of that. Now the military, um, you know, they, uh, they scared me as badly as the, as the, uh, as ET did um, because I was very concerned afterward that uh, the OSI who I think were convinced that I had a 36 exposure roll of, of uh, film of this, of this craft. God, I wish I had, um, uh, 
And, you know, truth be known, Toby was sitting right next to me at the campfire. He had a camera in his bag a foot away from him. And, you know, the idea of taking a picture of this thing never crossed our minds. I think that states again to their, to their influence. So that's, uh, I've heard that before. I've heard that many times before that. Well, in, in many cases, when a, you have a witness that's viewing whatever or going through an experience, they're in such a state of shock that they, it, they wouldn't even, it wouldn't even occur to them to pick up their camera. But I've also heard of individuals who have tried and the camera wouldn't work until yeah. the sighting was done and then the camera would, would work. So this is, this is part and parcel of the experience or phenomenon. Yeah. Listen, we're going to take a very quick break. And when we come back, I want to now, as we close out this, this portion of our conversation, connecting the dots between this 180 day, I'm gonna call it disclosure, and the monoliths that have been seen around the world. So we'll be right back, Journeyers, on the other side of this break. That's what we'll be talking about. Here are just a few reasons why you'll want to subscribe to Higher Journeys on YouTube. over 200 reasons. Help us get more people to join the journey. We appreciate your support and for joining us on The Higher Journey. I'm your host, Alexis Brooks. All right, everyone, we are back and we're going to dive into this monolith situation, see if we can connect another dot here, Terry. So again, the timing of all of this is just, it's all just so, it seems um, uh, revelatory. You know, these whomever plans stuff, timing, days, the month are so important. Planetary cycles, who knows? The numbers. timing of the monolith numbers, we're gonna talk about that too. The monoliths, from my understanding, started showing up, I believe, first in Utah, then it went to Romania, then there was a, a Southern California, and most recently, right here in my backyard, Quincy, Massachusetts. I'm not in Quincy, but I'm in Massachusetts. I'm gonna see if I can get an image to show you all. Uh, the one in Quincy, the monolith that showed up in Quincy, all of which, by the way, have disappeared. They for anywhere from five to 10 days, maybe. But the one in Quincy, Massachusetts had in a, in a quarry had what appeared to be a crop circle-ish geometric formation in the snow around this uh, monolith, this silvery metal object. This started what, mid-November? Yeah. Is there a dot to connect here? First of all, I have no opinion as to what, what this is. Uh, again, I'm going to be open-minded and skeptical at the same time. We know that there are a lot of people doing a lot of strange things that are deployed to 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 maybe put these these things around. I don't know, but we don't know what this is yet. We're going to try to meet this out. But let's assume there's something strange going on here. Could we connect even tangentially these monoliths with 
what we've just learned about what's to be disclosed in six months' time? Well, I think we have to, and I'll tell you why. Um, the thing that appeared in Utah was discovered by two guys in, helico in a helicopter, maybe three, and they were counting um, Elkhorn sheep or something for, for a uh, Department of Agriculture or Natural Resources type survey. And they saw this monolith and they landed and they went out and they looked at it and filmed themselves and kind of like, woohoo, this is cool. Uh, and they noted there, there were no footprints up to the thing. It was just sand. And uh, they filmed the thing. And, um, you know, the next news story we hear is, oh, it's gone. It's gone. It disappeared. You know, there's a hole, but it's full of rocks. Well, you know, and some people said, oh, yeah, well, you know, that was sheet metal screwed together. You could see the screws and stuff. Um, I don't know. I mean, I think it would take a lot of um, a lot of trouble, a lot of effort and a lot of money to erect this thing. And you can't tell me that once they found it, it wasn't under 24-7 observation by camera, by satellite, by whatever. But eyes were on that, I guarantee you, 24-7, and it disappeared. So there has to be somewhere there's footage of now you see it, now you don't. I, I, I really believe that. Uh, same with the one in Romania. That one, that, didn't, that one also disappeared, did it not? I believe so. I believe all of them have. That was my impression, yeah. They all disappeared. Uh, but there's there's no footage of it on camera. There's no uh, explanation for it. No one's ever, um, you know, cut one in half and had it evaluated. Um, so no. I don't know. This was a remote place in Utah. In Romania, same thing. I don't know where in uh, in Massachusetts uh, exactly. Is it a remote area? Where this it, was it's a quarry, a quarry, a stone quarry. So it, it wouldn't be a public place per se, but not necessarily remote. Quincy is just outside of Boston. Yeah. You know, with, with CCTV coverage the way it is, I mean, if I owned a quarry, uh, I would want 24-7 uh, CCT cameras around it because there's liability there. Uh, it's what's called in the law an attractive nuisance. So, you know. Drunken teenagers could go fall off a cliff and die, and you'd have a huge liability on your hands. So, uh, yeah, my guess is that it probably was. There's probably film of it somewhere. Uh, Romania, I can't speak to, but uh, New Hampshire quarry, you know, that's not public. I mean, that's not public land. It's got to be probably private land owned by somebody. Hmm. Massachusetts quarry. Yeah, uh, we can look into that and see. I don't know. And like I said, I, I think I told you off here, I had reached out to the gentleman that posted. He took a photo uh, at the uh, when it was there. And you can see the geometric, uh, you know, concentric circles around the, the monolith itself. And this really odd, not odd necessarily, graffiti, a wall of rock with graffiti and words like omen and other things. I, I'm going to see if I can get a picture. And I think I might be able to, because here's a, here's a, a legal question. If somebody posts a photo on a, a social media channel like Instagram or Facebook, aren't I allowed to put the photo because it's public, because it's been publicly posted? I think so. Yeah. Okay. Think, Check into that because we got to get a picture up there. I we, I direct messaged him to see if he'd allow me to do it, but I think I can do it anyway. So y'all can see it. You can even look it up and, and find it. But interesting nonetheless. Okay. So connecting a dot. Let's assume there's something strange going on. I mean, no matter the origin, it's strange, right? It's strange. 
I still think what's happening with we're calling it 180 days is has a fair amount of strangeness or at least an X factor. How do we connect the dots? If you were to make a case. You know what I would do? First of all, I would I would want to look at the dates of all the events, three or four of them now, four maybe. I want to look at the dates of all the events and see if there's any connection uh, numerically, mathematically to the, to the dates. Um, dates of arrival, dates of disappearance. Um, and I think got to be a message. Got to be, you know, there, there, there are subtle ways of, uh, I think, of ET saying, yeah, we're here. We're here. Uh, that, that they appear in benign ways uh, that don't freak people out, uh, don't cause them a lot of anxiety. You know, choosing the monolith, I mean, after the movie 2001 A Space Odyssey is kind of um, kind of a no-brainer what they're trying to say, you know. Uh, we're the primates, and uh, they're the erectors of the monolith. So, um, you know... They're here, we're here. Uh, and I got that feeling when I had my interaction with them. Uh, you know, the analogy that I used all the time is that, you know, I got a dog uh, or had a dog who loved me, loved my family when our kids were little. And uh, he would come over and put his head in my lap and look up at me with his big eyes. And uh, I pet him and he knew that I was the alpha and uh, I gave him love and support. And we each knew our respective roles. You know, and when I encountered the beings I encountered, I felt like the dog in the equation. I felt like these things were 500 runs up the evolutionary ladder. And, uh, you know, I was, uh, it was a humbling experience. So I think we're dealing with it, with something that's very, very intelligent uh, and probably is, you know, appearing to us in benign, benign ways uh, that get our attention. You know, like, um, well, I could think of examples. Uh, from a numerological standpoint, I can think of some examples. We're going to talk about that, as you all know. Are you, you got my script in front of you? <laughs> no. We're going to go right into that. Listen, let's go there. Let's talk about from a numerological standpoint, because y'all know we've been talking about these repeating numbers. When are we not going to talk about it? But when are we going to have some... <sighs> I keep using the word revelation. That's the word that is prominent. Revelation about why so many people are seeing repeating numbers. Let's go there. I'm ready. You know, um, <laughs> for, for those who may not know me, uh, I don't have, you know, the star credibility that uh, people like Robert Hastings has, who spent 30 years uh, investigating UFOs, spoken in front of Congress several times. Um, you know, he wrote a book in 2018 called Confessions, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And, uh, where he admits that he is an experiencer, uh, an abductee, which has not been public knowledge before. But to, to the story, to get back on the topic, Robert Hastings and I have been talking often for a couple of years, and he told me about he's been experiencing the triple-digit effect both he and Frank Warren, for some years. About and how many? About how many? Curious. 
do you know? Three, three years maybe. So um, I started, I'll tell you how bad it got. It got so bad at my house. My wife, my poor wife was so freaked out. She said, can we take the digital clock out of the bedroom, please? And replace it with an analog clock. Uh, and we did, and we did. And uh, I don't wear a digital watch. Um, you know, if I look at my phone, a lot of times I'll pick it up and I'll see the triple digit effect. Uh, and it's it's beyond the pale coincidence that the triple digit thing manifests. And uh, I think that it's, it's, again, it's a non-human influence and uh, it's a way, it's a benign way to get our attention, but it certainly has my attention. Mine too. And many of those who are watching right now. So I, I think I told you off air, my latest is 55. Anybody out there seeing specifically, because see, numerologically, Terry, each number has denotes, it's a language. Each number has its own symbology associated with it. Interestingly, the only thing that I could think of numerologically is that we are in a five year right now. I just did a show with numerologist Sharon Milstein about what the five denotes. But in my case, I'm seeing two fives. Um, what are your thoughts there? 55, and I want to use this. We can go from this to that in a, in a few. Your abduction, your abduction at 5.55 a.m. But first thoughts on the 55. Well, on the 55, um, you make the, um, I mean, it's, it's either two fives or a 10. Uh, a one and zero is uh, significant in its binary, uh, in its binary <laughs> meaning. And wow. The five uh, is amazing that you bring up because um, uh, I won't use her name, but she's associated with Yvonne Smith's group. Uh, and she's a very psychic lady and, uh, uh, and a dear friend. And in our, in our uh, internet or email dialogue, she told me that she sees um, the current Instability, I'll call it, lasting until 2026. <laughs> now, independent of her, someone else told me the date 2026. Now, now Lucy, um, I just said her name, uh, but, but my friend. We can um, scratch that. <laughs> okay, thank you. Um, my friend told me, um, because I had, uh, a numer numerological, numerical, weird experience that I've never had before. And um, it was July 22nd. And I'm watching TV and um, the date July 22nd came up a couple times. And I thought, that's weird. You know, I like coincidence. I noticed them. That's weird. But I, I wrote it off as coincidence. Then I'm reading a book. Um, I forget whose book I'm reading because I'm reading 12 at the same time. But uh, it was talking about an event that happened. Uh, may have been Leslie Kane's book, Surviving Death. Uh, and the date, July 22nd, came up again. 
Um, then I read a news article and July 22nd, 2018 came up again. The years were all different, um, but the July 22nd was the same. So I told my friend, hey, I've got this going on. Six times, I counted six times, July 22nd came up. And that's that's weird. That's just beyond the Absolutely, yeah. And she said, hmm, well, let me give that some thought. I'll get back to you. And uh, she was with me and, and Whitley and James Lowe and Yvonne Smith at um, um, Pine Ridge. You know, that's the subject of Whitley's um, book. New, New World, yes. Oh, yeah. So we were at Pine Ridge together and had some unbelievable experiences. Um, Pine Ridge, to me, changed, was a life-changing event. It really was uh, in a lot of ways that I, I don't have time to, to, to even touch upon. But um, Lucy emailed me back and said, July 22nd is the date that we were in Pine Ridge. And the date of the... Uh, we witnessed a ceremony. And then coincidentally, one year later to the day, July 22nd, 2019, she went back to Pine Ridge for what was called a healing ceremony. So July 22nd, while it didn't mean anything to me, had a lot of meaning uh, for Lucy. You've now said her name three times, so I'm gonna. <laughs> I, I think you're. I think you can roll with it. There are there are ten thousand Lucy's in this world. I, exactly. I think we'll be fine. Sorry, Lucy, Jeanette, Lisa, uh, whatever. Yeah. Well, hmm. Here's a thought that in 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 looking at this vast mystery, as, as I'm looking at the clock and it's two eleven, right? This always happens. Of numbers and for whatever reason, more and more individuals on terra firma have been introduced to numbers and have been forced to pay attention to these patterns, assuming they are somehow connected to some non-human intelligence, some non-human force. And yeah. it is benign, let's assume. Could it be a point of acclimating us to start to communicate vis-a-vis -vis numbers? Boy. You know, I never thought of that, honest to God. But I mean, you know, one and zero. No, numbers are the universal language. I Absolutely. Mean, they sure are. Entity, no matter where you're from, is going to understand pi. I mean, uh, it's it's the same. I mean, it's kind of Newtonian-based physics, but uh, you could sure take the, the math to a quantum level if you wanted. Um, if they chose to, they could take it there. Um you know who knows five five that may there may be some quantum route some it may be relative to something on the quant quantum well level. like you said numerologically uh, five and five equals ten and you always reduce it to its single digit which is one but zero and one is the core is binary code yeah. you know I I brought the idea of the eleven and eleven eleven phenomenon up within the context of binary code when I gave my initial talk in Australia a couple of years ago at this point, that this could be the language of uh, seeing the 11s, even though they're minus the zeros, but, uh, you know, 
looking at a graph, not a graph, but a, a picture of binary code and you see the groupings of two ones or three ones or four ones, repeating ones, could there be a connection with our seeing the 11s and binary code, which would insinuate the possibility of a simulated universe that we are operating within? Big question. I don't expect you to answer, but it's just a very curious phenomenon. Well, and I'm sorry. I've got something to add to that. I'm glad, I'm glad you asked that question. You know, <laughs> okay. I mean, anybody that has doubts about the numerological thing and think, oh, that's just coincidence. That's just coincidence. I got a great story. Um, I like history. I, I read a lot of history. And, you know, World War I was a, was a tremendous disaster. And it's memorialized every year on November 11th, uh, the date that the, um, the armistice uh, and the treaty was signed. Well, the armistice anyway, uh, the ceasefire was signed. Um, but it marked the end of the war, 11-11-18. Well, you know, World War I began with the assassination of, uh, was it Ferdinand and Isabella? I, I don't remember the names, but uh, were, they, uh, were they Serbian? I mean, I'm, I'm getting out of my comfort zone here. But we know that World War I began when this royal couple uh, was in a car and they were assassinated and shot dead. And that created the beginning of World War II. Um, and everybody, everybody picks sides because there were all these allegiances. And before you know it, the whole world's involved in a war. Uh, and I mention this to get to one point, and that is that car is still in a museum and if you go online and look at it, the uh, license plate on the front of the car, I didn't see the back of the car, but the license plates on the front of the car from the original date of the assassination is 11-11-18. Maybe we are in a simulation, you know? I, it's just, what, what are the odds? I mean. What are the odds? I think that one day we, may just have a grand epiphany as to numbers being that we're going to need to use more readily to communicate. I, I don't know why I'm, what's coming to mind is the power of Babel, which Sharon Milstein, who's a numerologist I had on not uh, just a couple of weeks ago, brought that up as, she brought up the tower of Babel the biblical story, obviously, within the context of how language was, or the, um, let's see, how can I summarize? In the Tower of Babel, when people wanted to rise up against the force we call God, what God did, as the story goes, is create, I don't know how many different languages to stop people from communicating, to go against him, right? Does that sound familiar to you? I'm kind of Old Testament, uh, what I call the Bible. I'm kind okay. of oriented in that direction. So, and yeah. I don't even know it as well as I should. But the the, tongues. Yes. the 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 bottom line is that languages were created as a means to said it said to separate people from coming together. Numbers being a universal language would then reunify people if that makes any sense, it, that could eventually replace 
you know, a, a bunch of different languages. How many languages do we have on the planet? Who knows? And dialects. Numbers, if they're a universal language and something is trying to get us back to not just speaking or understanding or communicating with the language of numbers, but telepathically, perhaps we won't even need to use our voices to communicate anymore. Is something, some force trying to acclimate us to get back to where maybe we came from to begin with? Boy, you know, it's no secret uh, that I had the entity that I refer to as Betty uh, in my book. Um, I remember her as a young child as Sue. They're one in the same entities. Um, and she appeared to me in my study in um, late October, third week in October, 2017, and told me that uh, I... I things in my leg would be removed. And three weeks later, I had the x-ray to prove that they were, but th th I don't want to digress here. But what she told me was that humanity needs to stop acting regionally and starts needs to start acting globally. And we were communicating telepathically. And I, I, I'm sure she caught my confusion at that, regional versus globally. And she said that, you know, for mankind to to rise uh, on a conscious level and to get to the next step in evolution. You know, we need to think as, oh, she said, we're one planet. We're one planet. We're one people. And we need to do away with borders. There's no need for borders. We need to do away with walls. We just need to be people, inhabitants, citizens of the planet Earth. And um, yeah, I think she's right. You I know, think she's right too. Something we can hope for. And yet we're seeing the divisiveness, the division and the polarity and the, the separation at its peak. So perhaps we're at the precipice that we have to go through before we can get back to ground zero being one world, one universe, uni, one. So, hmm. You know, I don't, I don't want to... I'm hesitant to go here. Um, go ahead with your thought. No, I'd like you to continue because I have a feeling if you're hesitant to go there, it's, it's got to be pretty deep. Go there, Terry. <laughs> I'm afraid um, that uh, we're in for a period of bloodshed. And... Um, you know, I don't, I don't talk politics. Uh, I respect everyone's point of view. You know, there, there's a, a phrase I like, and it is reasonable minds can disagree. And, you know, our, you know, uh, Rodney from uh, Rodney, uh, oh, from the riots in LA, uh, Rodney, King, Rodney King said something I love. And it was, can't we all just get along? Right. You know, and um, but, you know, there seems to be. I think the right word is radicalization, polarization, where everyone seems to be um, at, at the opposite ends uh, and nobody wants to meet in the middle. Nobody wants to shake hands and say, you know, can't we get along? Um, 
And I'm, I'm afraid that, and I'm not picking sides, uh, but I'm afraid that if we stay on this current course, there'll be bitterness, more divisiveness, and, and unnecessary bloodshed. I agree. Well, I mean, I think the writing's on the wall there. That's, Terry, I really feel that that has been seeded and that mankind really for millennia have been indoctrinated into, we know the playbook, right? Do I even have to say it? Divide and conquer. And yet there seems to be a force that is trying to prevent that from happening. And that's where the conversation, we're not going to go there today, but the idea of our being perhaps a spiritual war or there being a spiritual war going on of which we are the what's being warred about, I don't know. But there's, it seems, particularly when you look at what's happening planetarily and the, the conjunctions, now I can say plural, that we've gone through, that yeah. the wisdom keepers have been talking about for years and the shifting into the Aquarian age at Al, do, is there a faction that is aware that we are being primed for a true form of evolution and ascension and are trying to stop it? I don't know. But it seems like the ramp up and the the, the sustained uh, the sustained vision and the intensity of it, you have to ask yourself the question: is, is this being are we being propped up for this, primed for this, so that we are not focused on what cosmologically is trying to happen naturally to to bring the power out in us? I don't know. It's just you know, it's almost like we're going to have to go through. Um, we're going to have to go through some kind of trial by fire. I mean, we're going to have to be, um, you know, forged in that, uh, like so many other generations have, we're going to have to be, uh, just going to have to be bloodshed. It's, it's, it seems like, God, I hope, I hope not. You know, I'm not hoping for that. I don't want that. Um, but I'm saying that intuitively I feel that. Yeah. And, um, you know, I think we all need, to be, and I'm not a prepper or anything like that, um, but I think people do have a responsibility to be prepared, you know, and uh, maybe be able to put up with uh, a two-week outage of electricity or whatever kind of emergency might come up. Mm. I think it's just it's just wise to do. It um, could be in any case, absolutely. Well, again, let's. I say, I, I guess, in my private moments, Terry, I've said. Whatever is happening here, let let it be so we can get on the other side of it. Let's get on with it, whatever it's going to be, so we can get on the other side of it. Because I just know that what's on the other side is far more glorious than we can ever imagine. I feel that. You talk about intuitively. I do. Let's get on the other side of this. People are going through mental, psychological, emotional, physiological challenges like they've never her, had before, and I'm going to use this as a segue when we, as we close out or begin to wind down to talk about the physiological changes, one of which you have recently started having, and that's ear buzzing. Yeah, we're going to go there, journeyers, because Terry just told me on email, guess what? I'm going to use that as a segue. C give us a short sheet on what's going on. Now, I know I'm going to just say very, very briefly, because we don't have that much time left. You have had tinnitus. Many millions of people do. This is not tinnitus. This is something new that's emerged. Describe what's happening with you as part of this package of getting through all of this physiological stuff. This has been going on uh, intermittently, but now it's now it's constant. 
Um, you know, the genesis of it, I couldn't give you a date. I'd say at least a year. Um, but since November of 2020, it's been a constant and an annoyance. Now, I do have tinnitus, but tinnitus gives me a baseline. I know where my tinnitus is. I know what it sounds like. And this is different. This is an addition. In addition to, it's a tone. It's actually, to me, it sounds like a couple of tones blended together. Okay. And it's higher in pitch than the, the buzzing that I hear in my head. And um, I had, true story, a really bad day with it. Uh, where it was, it was really annoying. And I get an email from, and I, I should talk to him, see if I can send you a copy of his email. I get an email from, uh, he's a former uh, Los Angeles County city attorney who's retired. He's my age, uh, who's well-respected, you know, but, but he's an experiencer, you know, he doesn't share that with many people. Uh, but I'm having this bad day. He sends me an email and says, man, is this buzzing in my head ever going to stop? And that started our conversation. And uh, then we, you know, both uh, fessed up that, yeah, this is this is driving us crazy. So how many other people? Wow. Do you hear that noise? That was a buzz for sure. I don't know if y'all heard that. I think there may have been a tractor trailer going by on in the highway back here. Anyway. We've gone from 180 days till disclosure. I'm calling it that. We've talked about the monoliths. We've talked about numbers, repeating numbers. We've Now we're talking about this physiological anomaly that people both who have conversations like ours and many who don't that are coming to me saying, what is this? There's something going on here. This is a big dot connecting exercise. And I believe we'd be involved in this labyrinth if we didn't have the potential to solve it. And so here we are keeping this conversation going. So uh, I just want to say, journeyers, look, uh, we are all in this together. I'm hesitating when I say that because we've heard it way too many times. I say we're all in something together we don't know. We're probably going to come out in slightly different places depending on where we are and how we look at it. But man, we're we're on this spaceship Earth together, and what a ride it is! What a ride it is! So, closing thoughts, Terry, and then a couple of announcements. And you know, what we're going to do next. We're going over to Patreon or the after show to continue the conversation, go a little bit deeper, maybe a lot deeper. But closing thoughts on the on our conversation today. Yeah, just briefly, uh, you know, we've touched on a lot of things here that are, um, I believe they're clues. You know, they're clues, give, they're pieces of the puzzle that are given to us uh, very intentionally. And uh, I think we need to pay attention. Pay attention. Pay attention. There's, yes. And there are a lot of, I would dare say, reasons for us not to pay attention because of distraction that could be part part of this play as well so it is it is absolutely imperative that we that our awareness our acuity becomes so much stronger we have the time to do it i'm not saying go sniff out something that's not there but be aware be aware people we'll figure this out hey listen i also want to say in closing before we head on over to patreon i'm so excited because i could talk to this guy forever and i know you could listen to him forever as well he's great 
Terry was kind enough to donate a chapter of his brand new book. Let's talk about that for a minute. Your brand new book, brand new December? Was it December that it was published? Yeah, around Christmas time. Yes. Devil's Den, The Reckoning. I'm going to put a, uh, an image of the book cover up. Uh, goes even deeper than Incident at Devil's Den. I would say if you don't have Incident, you want to get that and have uh, get the second, of course, as its companion. But Terry has been kind enough to donate a chapter of his latest book to uh, our blog. So if you go to blog.higherjourneys.com, you can read that chapter there. And uh, we haven't put it up yet. By the time you see it, it will, of course, be up. But I'm really excited. I'm excited to read the, the whole book. But I think it'll be a good teaser. Tell us a little bit about what, why, how is this different from Incident at Devil's Den? When I published Incident at Devil's Den, in the back in the epilogue of the book, I put an email address. And I said, look, I'm not a doctor. I'm not a therapist. But if you email me and want to share an experience, I'll listen um, and I'll talk to you. And uh, I'll return the email. So I expected to get a couple dozen emails. Well, to date, I've got over 1,400 emails. And people write to me. And uh, there's a core out of that 1,400. You know, I value each and every one of them. Um, but there's a core group of about 400 of them that are just absolutely incredible. And there's a thread of commonality that runs through them. They all start with this, like, disclaimer. And they say, please don't think I'm crazy. Or I know this is going to sound nuts. Um, so after that, they give me that disclaimer. And then they sit, then they tell me these most amazing stories um, that are just absolutely incredible. So I have a core group I isolated of 30 stories that I made contact with the people. And I, to the best of my ability, vetted them and vetted their story. Um, we started with 50, I eliminated 20, and we ended up with 30. Uh, but they are incredible stories, and they run the entire gamut of uh, the UFO, extraterrestrial, interdimensional, USOs, UFOs. I mean, it's it's all there. Screen memories, unbelievable stuff uh, that people shared with me. Uh, and then in the first part of the book, people ask me, the most common question I get is, whatever happened to your friend Toby? Uh, and... That's a good question because it's a long story. And I explain that in detail mm -hmm. in the book and uh, his untimely demise, uh, which came much later than, well, yeah, it's a long story. And um, there was a chapter that I wrote for inclusion in Incident at Devil's Den that my editor said, you know what? You know, you talk enough about your childhood stuff. Why don't you, why don't you save this? Why don't we cut this? And I'm like, oh, okay, okay. Um, but I was really disappointed in that because I think it's a very important chapter. Um, there's also a chapter in there about um, my cousin, Gerald, uh, who used to come and visit once a year in the summer from rural Arkansas, the family. That's how poor people have vacations back in the day as you'd go to a relative's house and drink and play cards and, you know, live with them and uh, have a couple of days and hang out and then go back home. So um, they would come every year, and my cousin Gerald, while well, I'm having monkeys, I'm seeing monkeys in my room, um, Gerald is seeing clowns. You know, mm -hmm. I'm circus monkeys, he's seeing clowns. I guess I remember. I guess the circus theme is kind of goes with the Lovelace family, but uh, <laughs> <laughs> I, swear, I got emails from people 
who said, oh, yeah, I saw clowns. I yeah. saw animals. I saw owls, lots Absolutely. of owls. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, I, I, I story in my book about a kid from El Paso uh, who saw a raccoon walking on two legs in his room that would speak to him telepathically. Mm -hmm. uh, orbs, little gray men. I mean, just the gamut. The gamut. Clowns are probably the most, well, I, I can't say for sure, but it's certainly a common, what we refer to as screen memory in the uh, abduction uh, phenomenon, or let's just say loosely the contact phenomenon, owls, of course, and uh, lots of different kinds of birds. But, uh, you know, I have to tell you, I'll say this and then we're going to, we're going to shut it down. But uh, in you're talking so much about Betty and how you've described her to me over the last several years. It occurred to me, I wonder if Betty is a screen memory and how you see her. This crazy wig used to be, and I remember specifically you said that you called her Betty because she reminded you of Betty Rubble, right. which is a cartoon character, clown, yeah. cartoon character, monkey. These are all sort of caricatures that these entities seem to feel very uh, is very important to the to the to the witness to the experiencer i don't know we'll, we'll call that one a cliffhanger but it's occurred to me that and betty is not who how you see her is not who she really is he or she, he or she so just a thought just a thought good one it's so listen appear in a manner most benign yeah, exactly. That's a key word there. So listen, let's we can continue this conversation if you want. We can take wherever you want to go because we're going over to Patreon right now. Join us, will you? In the meantime, I'm going to say, Terry, tell, tell us where you can go. Terry, tell us where we can go to learn more about your work. I kind of screwed yes, that one. I have a website, terrylovelace.com, and I have some images there. I have x-rays uh, with pictures of the things that were in my leg, well, one ones below my knee are still there. Um, also a uh, hand drawing that I made in detail of the uh, ship that we saw in 1977. And the uh, drawing is contemporaneous with the event. I recorded all the events in a notebook uh, mm -hmm. at the time. I had the forethought to do that. Uh, so, uh, and then my books are available on Amazon. Incident at Devil's Den is available in a Kindle version in a uh, paperback book with uh, Photographs and X-rays, drawings in the back—they're very—they're very interesting, and um, it's available Kindle, paperback, and I did a audio book uh, in my own voice, which, for what it's worth, some see it good, some see it bad, but it's in my own voice because I wanted to tell the story. And then um, the reckoning—the reckoning has um, half of it devoted to the rest of the story, and then the thirty folks that shared their. They're very candid stories with me. So Lovely. both are available on Amazon. Okay. Uh, Great. Well, we'll make sure to have links not only in uh, the show, but of course, like I said, go on over to blog.higherjourneys.com. Get yourself the sample chapter from Terry's latest book, and we will always uh, also have links there as well. All right, Terry Lovelace, always a pleasure. Love you much. Big hugs, big virtual hugs to you and to you, journeyers. And we shall see you, if not uh, on Patreon, we'll see you soon for next episode of Higher Journeys. Have a great day, everyone. Take care.